Welcome aboard the Fourth Watch, which is a series of podcasts sponsored by the good people at Fair Mormon, of which I, your host, Ned Skarsbrick, am a volunteer. And as always, my views and opinions are my own and may not reflect those of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or that of Fair Mormon. However, they have been proven to be correct on occasion. So with that said, let's uh, move on to today's topic. This is the third and final podcast that I'm doing on psychological issues. Um, uh, what's a psychological issue, Brother Ned? Well, psychological issues are processes in our bodies that allow us to relate to the world around us. What we see, hear, taste, and feel both physically and emotionally. How we understand our senses and the interpretations we give them differ from person to person. This episode is about our interpretations. Make sense? Uh, no. And if I smell an orange, that's it. It's an orange, right? Well, you're right. An orange is an orange. By the way, an orange is the only food that I know of that is also a color. Blueberry, maybe, but nothing is named just blue, is it? Hmm. Well, uh, what does this have to do with anything, man? It's our thoughts and feelings about things that differ. The smell of an orange will create unique feelings in each person who smell the same orange. Well, this is getting strange, man. You want some bizarre orange trip? No, it's about how we process information. In the first of these podcasts, I talked about depression. In number two, we talked about anxiety and PTSD. In this episode, we're going to discuss OCD and addiction recovery. What's OCD, man? Obsessive Compulsive Disorder. That doesn't sound good. You you got any Diet Coke, man? No, just sit back and listen. You might learn something. All right, man. When OC gets to OCD, a disorder, that's when it becomes bad. There are some good things about being OC or obsessive-compulsive, although we don't call it that. We say things like focused or staying focused. Thomas Edison was focused and had the ability to stay focused. That ability gave us the light bulb. So it is with many aspects of life. You want your heart surgeon to be casual in his or her profession? We need those who can stay focused on minutia detail, whether it's in medicine or bridge building for that matter. Who wants to drive over a bridge that was designed and constructed by those who were only modestly concerned with the final product? Not me. I want dedicated, focused doctors and bridge builders. So when does it become a disorder? Let me give you a few examples. Number one, concerns with contamination, like dirt and germs and chemicals and stuff. It becomes a disorder when you become overzealous about cleaning, like hours every day, washing your hands over and over and over again. Two, concern with keeping objects in order. 
This is fine, but it can become a disorder when everything has to be in perfect order all the time. Clothes arranged just so. The sock drawer must be. The pencils, the cans in the pantry, the refrigerator items. All these things have to be just right. 3. Checking up on things. This becomes a disorder when you do the same check 5, 10, or even 20 times on the same item. 4. Here is one that can really affect our lives. Dwelling on relationships. Again, this is a good basic part of our lives, but when we start to dissect our relationships, that's when it can become a disorder. When we obsess over an offhand comment at work that it will alienate a coworker, or whether a small misunderstanding will ruin a friendship, this mindset may reflect an exaggerated sense of responsibility and difficulty accepting uncertainty in life. If thoughts like this get stuck in our heads and snowball into excessive self-doubt or fears of being a bad person, this can become a full-blown disability. In the Gospel of Jesus Christ, there are those who obsess about fringe topics instead of being focused on the core teachings of the Savior. If you're one of those, please consider giving it up. I guess gospel hobbies, as we sometimes refer to them as such, in and of themselves are not dangerous. It's when they become an obsession. That's when they become a disorder, a danger to ourselves, our family, and friends. We all have different personalities, likes, and dislikes, but don't get on your gospel hobby horse and gallop into town and start shooting the place up. Just trot into town and check in with the local sheriff first, uh, you know, the bishop. So what's a good way to know if you're in danger of going fringe? One, if you ignore other aspects of the gospel to the exclusion of almost everything else except your pet issue. Two, if you only listen to, read, or watch those who support your view of the gospel. 3. When you get caught up in going over and over and over the same narrow thinking patterns, you just might have OCD. 4. The most extreme example of this disorder is when you start believing that you know the real truth about the gospel and the scriptures are there for you to interpret. You obsess about being right. You can't be wrong. If the prophets differ from your understanding, then they must be wrong because you must be right. All of this leads into the second part of this podcast, Addiction and Addiction Recovery. For those who tend to be a little on the obsessive-compulsive side, Addiction can become a close friend. Some addictions are good, like being morally clean or being honest. I guess we wouldn't really call these things addictions. We tend to put the label of addiction on things that are bad, like smoking and drinking. Oh, uh, a short time back, I was talking with a professional counselor about addiction recovery, and he mentioned that some parents drop off their kids who have a uh, pornographic addiction problem and asked for a couple of simple tools they could use to 
to cure their children, and he said, There are no simple tricks or tools or medications that can cure this issue. The parents are often insulted because they don't understand the nature of addictions. One treatment he mentioned was to start using the computer for a spirit-infusing experience, like name extraction or family history research. Once the computer starts to become a positive friend instead of a debilitating non-friend, the core issue of getting your needs met starts to change. For a lot of people, these negative addictions are a type of self-medication. Problem is that for a short time they actually work, which gets you hooked and you need more and more to get the same effect, like drugs. Doesn't really matter what the addiction is, the results are often the same. You keep looking for that magic pill that will allow you to cope with life. Over time, they wind up controlling you instead of you controlling your own life. They take on a life of their own. As a continuation of this uh, podcast on uh, obsessive compulsive disorder and addiction recovery, we have uh, Mark with us from the LDS uh, Addiction Recovery site that uh, you can go and uh, watch his video and his story. Mark, uh, welcome aboard the Fourth Watch. Thank you for having me, sir. Why don't you tell our listeners uh, how you became associated with the LDS uh, program and got them to take you as part of the the church's site? Well, um, in 1992, the church proposed a pilot program at the Utah State Prison uh, using the 12 Steps. And I was a volunteer in one of the, uh, one of those very first groups, and I had been attending other twelve step meetings in AA and NA, so I was already a proponent of the twelve steps. I had already regained uh, full activity in the church. Um, my testimony was burning within me. Um, the gospel I knew was the answer. But how to implement the gospel remained problematic, and I knew the 12 steps gave me a very simple approach to taking God's hand and letting him guide me through that process on a daily basis of staying honest. So when the church uh, said, well, we're willing to come out and would you be willing to be involved in this group? I said, yes. And that was in 1992, and ever since I've been involved and in all the various uh iterations of the program for the last uh, 14 years I've facilitated in the meetings and the last eight or nine years I've been a missionary in the program and so really it's a big part of my life now. Oh, so the, there's a, a missionary effort in the uh, church's addiction recovery program? There is. Um, it's under the auspices of family services, and we are called and set apart as missionaries, part-time uh, church service missionaries. And in virtually any area where there is a priesthood leader who wants to uh, shepherd the program, family services will implement it. And I'm down in Utah County North out of the American Fork Agency, and we have approximately 60 meetings a week in the Utah County area. I think there's 90 meetings a week in the Salt Lake area. But um, we're in 17 or 18 countries now in virtually every one of the states here in the United States. So you're having great success with that? 
We are. Um, I mean, addiction is a huge umbrella. It covers not just addiction, but uh, of the typical things, drugs, alcohol, tobacco, pornography, uh, overeating. But it really covers anything that's overwhelming to the human uh, to a human, you know, being a fallen man in a fallen world means that we're going to be overwhelmed. And the church obviously knows that many people struggle with um, emotional issues, psychological issues. And so they've offered that uh, these 12 steps can be a support or an adjunct to therapy, to uh, individual efforts of improvement. Really, it's just another way of learning to take God's hand in and uh, find peace and healing in our lives. Wow, that's good. I was talking with a counselor who was talking about uh, pornography addiction, and he says he has uh, parents that come in on a regular basis and say, hey, can you fix uh, Johnny? Just give him a couple little steps and he'll be cured. And he goes, no, you can't do that. There's multiple issues going on in people's lives that have to be addressed. And it's just not one or two things. It's, a, uh, it's many things and it takes time. Is that your experience? Absolutely. Um, the behavior, whether it's substances or actual acting out behaviors, are really just the tip of the iceberg. There's all sorts of uh, background, underlying emotional, psychological issues. Sometimes there's been abuse. Sometimes always there's going to be self-esteem issues or trust issues. Sometimes the individuals just don't trust themselves because they they are too performance-based and they feel like their best isn't good enough. Sometimes they just don't know the God in whom they profess to trust and they think that they just can never measure up to God. Uh, there's all sorts of issues like that. And basically that tells me that we're facing the same issues as every other human on the planet. Uh, we're trying to reconcile being knowing what perfection is to a degree, at least having an intellectual understanding that we can perform and exist at a much higher level than we do. And the reality is that our performance, our day-to-day -day walk always falls short. Even on our very best days, we can always find something to improve on. How do you reconcile that and, and become comfortable enough in your own skin without becoming complacent in your desire to improve? Um, that's really the test of humanity, I think, and, and not trying to be too philosophical about it. This is just one more tool in the arsenal of, of uh, learning how to be human and yet respond to the divine that's within us. I think you're right about that. I've, uh, I've known a couple of people who have been in the uh, Alcoholics Anonymous program, and uh, they say when new people come in, they tell them these horrendous stories of things that have happened in their lives. And, uh, and then they listen to it, and they said, yeah, those, those things happened. But what are you going to do now? We can't change the past. What are we going to do now? And people kind of sometimes continue to live in the pain and the torture of the past that no matter what they do, it's not going to be good enough. Is that kind of your experience or not? Absolutely. Um, you know, isn't the message of, of the Latter-day Saints, the, mes the message of all true Christians, that we're not the sum of our mistakes, 
We're not the sum of all of our experiences, but we're even more than that. We are who we are at this moment. Yes, I can identify myself as that I have addictive tendencies. I may call myself an alcoholic or an addict, but I am also a son of God. I'm also uh, living in the moment, and if I'm capable of feeling the Spirit and even the smallest glimmer, even just a little tiny spark of the Spirit, that tells me that the atonement is actually working in my life. And that is the, me- that is the point we need to all get to um, in recovery and as, as active Latter-day Saints and Christians who are trying to improve, to recognize that, you know, God isn't this great scorekeeper. He is an ever-present, in-the-now being who is always saying one thing, I love you, take my hand, we'll, we'll work this out. Let's, I'll show you a better way. We'll work on it together. Yes. Absolutely. And that's what grace is. You know, he doesn't sit back and and wait for us to perfect ourselves to a certain enough level before he says, okay, you checked off all these boxes. Now we can talk. No, he, he descended beneath all things. He descends beneath all things in the very moment and says, if you will take my hand, immediately shall the great plan of redemption unfold. I saw that in the video you did on the church's addiction recovery website, and I was impressed by that point, that God was still after you regardless of what you did or didn't do because he loved you. Absolutely, brother. And that was such a a miracle for me to even conceive, but it was even more of one to feel when that intellectual understanding all of a sudden transcended and went into my heart and I felt it in my whole being, I realized this is our Redeemer. And that's what we're all after, regardless of what issues that we have in our life. I think that sometimes I know that uh, I'm a little bit older, I'm in my 60s, and I pretty much grew up with a uh, performance-based value system. If you didn't do A, B, or C, you just weren't good enough and you really weren't worthy of God's love because you weren't doing A, B, and C. And since that time, I've kind of adjusted my thinking to more a love-based value system and that it's what we're becoming inside. And as our internal change happens, because the Lord works from the inside out, that behavior automatically follows the internal change. Have you experienced something like that? Absolutely. Um, you know, it's, it's really not a question of faith versus works. Our works follow the, the fulfillment of our faith. We end up feeling loved. We feel love for uh, our Creator who loves us, and because we love Him so much, then our behavior automatically follows suit. We start to change, and if we will continue to access that love on a daily basis or as frequently as possible, then it's, lo and behold, our very character starts to change, and we start to become more godlike. But if I approach it from the other point of view, like I'm going to perfect myself first so that I can be worthy of God's love, I'm always going to fall short. And that's the fallacy of the performance-based viewpoint. All of us 
live in the real world. The real world pretty much is performance-based. Even, even Eastern society has large elements of that in it. And it's, it actually serves us well in, in many different ways. It serves us well in business, in military, in school, because there has to be a, a way of kind of measuring where we're going and, and how we're doing to some degree. But in the absence of love, in the absence of emotional connection to God and to others, then um, it will never be as fulfilling. And in fact, will leave us feeling as a failure in the long run. At least that's my experience. That's my experience also. My gosh, sounds like we're on the same page. You know, sometimes I think that uh, people use addictions, what we call, I guess, negative addictions like alcohol and drugs to kind of medicate themselves so they don't have to deal with the difficulties of life. And one of the problems with that is that it kind of works for a while, but the consequences are just horrendous. And people don't realize when they start drinking or they start taking drugs, whether legal or illegal, that they're going to have all these terrible consequences that are going to follow. How, how do you get people to understand that? You know, sometimes pain is the best teacher, um, but information and education are also paramount because otherwise, you know, what are you going to do? Just tell all the youth, uh, go ahead and experiment, experiment all you want. And when the pain gets bad enough, then we've got a solution for you. No, uh, prevention is far better manner of retaining than uh, trying to reclaim them after the fact, because we lose too many people if we just wait for pain to teach us. So we do have to educate. And that means some of us who have been through the fire um, have to be willing to, to share, not so much all the dirty details, but share the pain that we've been through, because I believe the Spirit has a way of reaching through even to the youngest of people and, and teaching them, you know what? I can learn vicariously from this old guy or this mom who is saying this. I don't have to, I can trust that. And the spirit will implant into their heart a trust that, you know what, that I agree. I don't want to go down that road. So education and information are pretty paramount. It's a combination of all this. I don't know that there's any one magic bullet. In fact, that's what addiction is, the attempt to find the magic bullet. But there is the truth of the gospel, which even infants can have access to. And the more that we embrace that truth as individuals, as families, and ultimately, hopefully, as, our, as a society, the greater that solution. I, I like to call the gospel the solution. You know, I like to think of Jesus Christ as the answer, uh, the old basketball player, Allen Iverson, was known as the answer. That was his nickname. You know, he said, whatever the situation is, I can score for you. Jesus Christ is that taken to the eternal degree. He is the answer to everything. And while we may not be able to conceive of all the steps, we can trust in, in that he who has paid the ultimate price will walk us through it and show us what the next right thing to do is. Not the 20 next things to do, but just the very next thing to do so we don't have to get overwhelmed by the process. Well, that sounds great. I, I agree with that. Are there uh, programs within addiction recovery that offer uh, education for people who 
might be going in that direction. So they don't have to deal with it in the uh, past tense. They can deal with it beforehand. So they're educated about uh, if you go down this road, these are the consequences. Well, yes. I mean, online you can find multiple resources, some of which are 12 steps, some of which are not. I think every resource that is valid always has a spiritual component to it. Um, That's just my personal uh, observation. But truth is truth. And whether you couch it in the, the words of the gospel or the words of business or the words of science, uh, the truth will um the truth will be clear, and that message will come across. And so that being said, I've been involved with the D.A.R.E. program in the schools uh, where the police officers team up with people in recovery and go in and provide education. You know, there is validity in the education. We're way past the days when, you know, back when I was in uh, junior high and high school and health class where they would show you um, videos that were really pretty, um, they were so extreme as to be unbelievable about the dangers of addiction. Now the information that I'm seeing in the schools is pretty to the point and pretty clear. And they, and virtually every school in whether public or private avails themselves of public speakers who come in and say, look, you know, Um, this is my experience, or this is our program. And if you ever have a friend that's having problems, you know, come to us, we can give you some support. So I think education is good, but the internet has really opened that up far more to, uh, given us far greater access worldwide than we ever had before. And so in that regard, the internet is part of the solution. And, and I think that's kind of what God created a lot of these communication systems for, so that we didn't have to reinvent the wheel. He gets his information out uh, concisely and clearly. You know, that, that may not be a complete answer, but I do believe in education as part of it. I also believe that those of us who, who have, who know what, that we've been rescued It's kind of incumbent upon us to bear testimony, whether it's in church terms or whether it's in common vocabulary, that, yes, uh, there really is a God. There really is a higher power. There really is a solution. You don't have to figure this all out yourself. And in fact, why not even avoid going down that road? Because there is happiness and fulfillment to be found by following some of the tried and true uh, roads that your fathers and grandfathers have testified about for decades. I, I'll get off my soapbox now, brother. <laughs> no, I, I think you're doing a, a great service to uh, people that actually need it. Uh, parents want to save their children from issues like uh, what if they start on drugs or they start on um, sexual behavior or something. The person their self actually has to want this. You can't force recovery upon people and put them in a program and say, you're going to be okay now. Absolutely. You're, you're so correct. You know, it's the old, you can lead a horse to water, but I know of dozens and dozens of cases where parents and spouses have put Johnny or Mary into a program and sometimes five programs and sometimes 10 programs at the expense sometimes of 
not just tens of thousands, but literally hundreds of thousands of dollars. And here they are, Johnny and Mary are now in their mid-20s, sometimes their mid-30s, and they still haven't changed. You know, they they become partly willing, but they never become completely willing. And so that willingness, that desire to say, okay, I'm just done, I want something better, is absolutely important. It's the key to recovery. That's the one component that any human being can add, no matter how enslaved they are by the chains of any type of addiction, uh, God never takes away the ability to have some willingness. And if you're only 1% willing, if you will pray to God, he will increase that 1% willingness to where you have enough agency to turn it over to him and he will take care of the rest. I agree. Well, I think this has been uh, time well spent, at least for me, and I hope for uh, some of our listeners today. Are there some uh, closing comments uh, you'd like to make, uh, Mark? Well, if you would, would you permit me to read a poem I wrote about my experience? Sure, go ahead. Because this kind of sums it up in a nutshell. Uh, It's called Faith is a Breaking Dawn. On the edge of faith, the choice is mine. Chilling winds of doubt, gust and eddy about, pushing me towards the wide mouth chasm of the past, that devouring pit of bottomless regrets, which weigh me down and suck me into the monstrous maw of broken boned hopes and all around the faint but piercing screams of unkept promises and dying dreams, still echoing, unforgiving, accusingly calling my name. But faith is a breaking dawn, and each step forward towards the sun erases that dark vortex of doubt from my mind, stirs harmonies of hope and light in the now gentle breeze, and awakens the yellow, yellows and golds of joy within my heart. The hymn of life pulses in my veins and sings in my soul a warming witness that love is real and forgiveness a testimony that the choice I've made is life eternal. Amen. That was great, Mark. I appreciate that. Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk with you. I feel a kinship with you, brother. And I feel it a privilege to be able to, to tell people that we do have a Father in heaven. We do have a living Savior. And he is not only the Savior— He is my Savior. He is your Savior. Thank you. Sounds like the waves of life are calling us to go forth with a steadfast focus on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to carry out His will. Officer of the Watch, post the Navy hymn, sung by Sandra Schmidt, Bonnie Skarsbrick, Steve Hatch, and David Reese. Eternal Father, strong to save. 